listening to the Our Eerie Podcast with Devonna Paisley, Mario Achuku, and Lydia Leith. This series will bring citizens, entrepreneurs, activists, politicians, artists, and thought leaders to the table for a frank discussion around societal issues facing our post-industrial city and the United States at large. Take a seat. All right. <laughs> Hi, friends. Hey, lady. So, uh, so we're sitting down to talk about elections, politics, all that good stuff. Mm. Uh, the 2020 elections are like right on top of us. How are you guys feeling about that? Bruh, I'm not going to lie. Like for a while, and I'm going to be real honest, for a while, I did not want to vote. I was just like, at this point, what's the what's the point? We have, and, and you know, no offense to Democrats, but we had Biden, and then we have Trump, and it was just like to me, who was the lesser of two evils? And so I had to really like really think in my head, like what what are things that I want to see change? What are things that I really want, you know, to see kind of like move forward and I was like okay because Biden and Kamala and of course when Kamala came on as vice president I was like you know what I know a lot of people did not like her when she was running for presidency and I know that she did there's some discrepancy but for me I was just like I I want to do it I need to do it I'm voting for her and that's kind of how I felt I was voting for Kamala I'm not really so that's just being honest um you know I I think though instead of not voting you know i did i ended up i voted so my ballot's in and ready to go um but i mean for a while i struggled i was like i don't really want to vote what's the point like i think that we should hold our votes i think as african-american people we should hold our vote and a lot of people will look at that as a radical thing but i think at this point in time we are not getting the things that we need we need you know, to see some radical change. And at that point, I feel like collectively we need to do that, but that would be something that we would have to really honestly come together. And at this point, it was to me not voting, me just not being a person that voted, that that would mess some things. I felt like that would mess some things up. So, you know, for me, I just decided, okay, I'm going to do it this time. I need to vote. I've been voting for how long? So, yeah, just it felt it didn't feel natural to me to not vote, but I thought about not voting. No, I think that that's like so many people can relate to that. I think mm -hmm. that that's such a common whether it's not voting or wanting to vote third party. I think the the political parties and and the powers that be have kind of shamed people into admitting when they have like not wanted to vote or when they've wanted to vote third party because that's not how the system works. Mm -hmm. And like they call it, you know, throwing away a vote, which. I also get and it you know you're right like when you don't vote then whoever gets elected like you helped get them there because you didn't Fact. vote for the other person or, or or whatever that that means but uh but I do I think that that's a really common experience and no one wants to have to vote for like the lesser of two evils but that's really what it comes down to for a lot of people um and in some cases which I think like this election there's a very clear greater okay. evil, right? Like, I think we can unequivocally say that like white supremacy and xenophobia and Islamophobia mm -hmm. and, and greed and, and all the issues that Trump embodies, like is the greater evil by far. Absolutely. But, but a vote for Biden isn't necessarily a vote for like groundbreaking, earth shattering, life changing, okay. positive progress, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, he is a vote for a, maybe a moderate stability. <laughs> 
Okay. Which is what people, I mean, like what we so desperately need right now, right? Everything feels so unstable. He's a vote for like, let's just get back on stable ground a little bit in some ways so that we can make more progress. At least that's how I feel is like, yeah, I'm not like, you know, beating down everyone's door saying we got to get Biden elected. I mean, we do need to get we Biden do. elected, but like, I'm not as fired up as I would be about no. some of the other people that ran mm-hmm. by far. Marty, how are you feeling? I haven't been feeling, I get the feeling and the sustained feeling people feel with every election cycle, like choosing between two evils, but I feel like it's outside of the candidates. I feel like the evil is a system, Ooh. a system that makes us have to choose yes. between two people. Why are there only two people on the ballot? I don't have two choices for anything else in my life, you know? Right, wow. right. like the false dichotomy of it, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're either Black Lives Matter or you're, you know, anti or you're pro-police, like there's no in-between or like you're either Trump or you're Biden. Like it, there's so mm-hmm. many false dichotomies in these political discussions and none of them are helpful to the people. Like all they do to the for the people is to disenfranchise them or disempower them. Like when when you only have two options, then like you don't really have options. Right. You're not capturing the diversity and thought, the diversity and wants, the diversity and needs. Like there's so many people who are supporting Biden for so many different reasons. And a large percent of us don't even want the man, you know? I don't, just the whole, I'm so tired. It's been what, two years, even the presidential process of just taking up so much of our lives. I wish it was shorter. I wish we had more options. I'm just- And it takes up so much money. Money. Can we talk about like the, like, yeah. And we'll talk about this later with with Jay when he comes on, but like the money that goes into politics Mm -hmm. is bizarre. Like the amount of money we could be putting towards community goods and improving people's lives on a on the daily basis mm-hmm. goes towards putting an ad on Facebook or on the TV it's bizarre there's so much money so like this false scarcity that like we don't have enough money mm-hmm. to for folks that's a lie there's plenty of money i've seen it pour into campaigns left and right absolutely and there's always going to be a loser you know it's just wild to me how much money we spend for so many losers <laughs> not to call them losers but they're losers millions of of dollars for someone to lose right right and there's no limits to like to to, in there are so many systems in the united states where money is the primary determinant like the yeah determinant of of like who is successful or who gets services or who gets access to these certain spaces or power or or you know the accessibility of of so many life saving things right whether it's your your health care or your legal representation like the more money you have the better off you are and same with campaigns like the more money you have the more likely you are to win which is so bizarre because then you see like all the people that get into office are only all wealthy people or people that have access to wealthy people but you don't mm-hmm. get common people in office because no. we don't have a, a campaign structure that supports people without money being yeah. able to to get to these higher levels of office they're literally throwing away money can you can we talk about the mailers <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yes because like i look at it and it's in the trash mm-hmm. yeah same okay so i had a couple the other day and i was like literally they're multiples and i was like i this is i felt bad because like you i ripped that shit up and threw it in the garbage and i'm just like I already knew because at that point in time, I already voted. So I just felt like it was a waste. And those things are expensive because running those those campaign papers and flyers and all that's costly. So I can only imagine 
how much money, you know, and I get it. I do know that we do need advertisements. I do know that, you know, we obviously you need to be able to see the name. Was it 10 to 20 times you need to see uh, somebody's name or see something, you know, for you to kind of like keep that in your memory. So like, I get it, but again, why can't it be in like moderation? Mm-hmm. I personally believe they should, everybody should start off at a level playing field with the same amount of money. Kind of like when you're getting a group project and you have your teacher gives you like the construction paper and, you know, glue, everybody gets the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then you, what are you going to do with it? You know, how are you going to rate, use that money? I think, you know, I think that'd be dope to just see somebody that shows like how creative you are, how innovative you are, you know, how, how well do you, are you going to use this money for, you know, the things that you need to use it for? It starts to kind of show like already before that person even gets in office, how are they going to utilize the resources that they have? And I think oftentimes we don't even look at it like that. Like, you're right. Money is the motivation. But if everybody started off with mm-hmm. what, $2,000, I don't know. I'm just throwing out a, a, a number. And that's like the limit too. Absolutely. Right? Like It'd be the like- limit. That's the cap. Mm-hmm period. And then what do you do with that? You know? Right. No. And I think that like, again, and this is maybe as a tangent, but like in the United States, there's been this like false narrative of people that are in poverty are only in poverty because they don't know how to budget their money. And so we give all these like financial literacy courses to people Mm -hmm. in poverty as if somehow that's going to solve the problem that a $7 minimum wage is like not solving for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think like what people forget is that like, it's really freaking easy to budget Mm -hmm. air quotes, budget money. When you have millions of dollars, you don't have to budget. You can just spend, uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars on mailers when like on a whim, you don't care. Like you have endless amounts of wealth versus someone that's running a shoestring budget that has to think about every little thing and has to budget stuff out. And I think people that have experienced poverty or are working class know how to budget better than anyone because you know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. You know what it's like to have to budget out money for gas and food and like, yeah. My life, that's that's (laughs) it. I'm literally talking about what I did yesterday. Like uh, today, I have to actually budget my like freaking bills right now. (laughs) That's interesting. I mean, I saw that, you know, running for city council. I saw like, I mean, I had to raise money. We and we did it on a grassroots organization, you know, grassroots. So raising it by people, people funded. And so for me realizing like, dang, like I need to, I, I didn't even get yard signs. And the reason why is because that towards the end, I was still trying to raise money enough to even get yard signs. When we had quoted it, it was like $650 for what, 40, 50 yard signs. Mm -hmm. At that point, we were so close, you know, to, to having to, you know, what was so close to the day that we had to vote. I was just like, you know what, that was a sacrifice I had to make. I was like, I won't do yard signs. And instead, what I decided to do was just really just like, advertise and really just kind of show more social media and really get myself out there when it came to that. But you're right. Money was like, to me, it was like, dang, I don't really have enough to really make the greatest impact or get my name out there even more. And of course I came in a little late and that's understanding, but you're right. Like that to me was like the, one of the greatest hindrances is not having enough funds to work it makes such a difference for like smaller campaigns or new voices like those yard signs those mailers it matters for like the new candidates for these big names it doesn't matter as much but they're the ones who have the money to do it right right it's so true and those are the ones that definitely got in so mm-hmm. and of course name recognition we talk which we'll be talking about with with um jay is just kind of that's one of the things that 
I realized too over time, like, dang, getting your name out there more. So I'm sure there will be a lot more things we can unpack with Jay when we talk to him. Uh, Absolutely. After this. And today we have Jay Brenneman in the building. Hello, Jay. Hey, good morning. Good morning. We have a pretty big election coming up, but we don't just have to talk about predictions. We could talk about whatever we want to talk about in this. Starting off, can you just give us a little bit of introduction of who you are? Uh, yeah. And first off, I just want to you know thank uh, all of you for inviting me here to today's show. Uh, this is a topic that uh, I love to talk about. Um, and uh, it's one that's it's always been of interest of mine. So uh, after leaving the uh, army in 2009, I went to school to become a social worker. And it was uh, in my undergraduate uh, coursework where uh, faculty members would always say, um, you know, it isn't enough to just help people. We have to change the systems that are impacting them, right? We have to affect the root causes to these problems. And I would always like raise my hand and be like, well, how do we do that? And they were like, well, we don't know. You know, you just gotta, you know, maybe look at macro work, policy work. And so uh, I uh, earned a uh, master's degree from Case Western in uh, macro social work, which is focused on policy and community development. And uh, the roots of social work being the, uh, the, the inseparable links between helping people and the policies that are that are affecting them, right? And so um, my whole career has been largely focused on those 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 systems of policy, be it uh, organizational policy, uh, local or state or federal policy. Um, of course, I haven't been in elected office for four years on Erie County Council. Uh, I've I I've been able to practice uh, firsthand uh, the electoral side of politics, and still have you know throughout the years. Um, and uh, also teaching uh, policy coursework to master's level social workers and uh, uh, currently uh, in next semester as well, uh, poli-sci students at Gannon. Um, so I'm teaching an intro to American government class right now, as a matter of fact. And uh, uh, what better time to do it than yes. uh, 2020, right? Yes, that's dope. Now, what uh, was, can you tell us a little bit like what it, what is like, what it was like being on Erie County Council? Because um, I know how, and how long ago was that that you were on? Seems like a lifetime ago. It was like, uh, four, I think I've been out of office almost four years now. Um, and that's how long I was in. And the, uh, the, the, you know, getting into office is one thing. Um, and um, being in uh, being on county council, and I'm sure there's a lot of similarities for those who are on uh, similar councils, you know, the legislative branch of local government uh, and with city council. And, and you know, usually for the, and, you know, the advice I had received when I first got in office was just like, hey, don't make any waves. Uh, try not to change too many things. Um, it might take you a couple terms before you start figuring things out. And I was always like, who's going to sit around and wait eight years to figure out how to do their job. You know, I'm going to get right into it. 
Um, but uh, it's it's one of those things where being in on uh, county council and I would say even city council, you could uh, basically uh, just show up for when there's a meeting, mm-hmm. uh, give an opinion and a vote, and then go home and and not have to worry about it. It's really a job that uh, it's as much t- you you commit as much time as you want, mm. right? You could, you could do very little and just, and just vote and make decisions as they come. Or you could, uh, like I did treat it, even though that you don't get paid to do it, you could treat it like a full-time job and commit a lot of time and resources to it. So it's really as much as you want to. Um, there's a lot of boring stuff, right? Cause there's a lot of, uh, um, just standard pass through, pass-through money that comes from the state or federal grant. And it's just like, you're just a check off the box, like boom, check. You, there's no influence whatsoever. Even if you were to vote no, which I've done on some things, even if you were to vote no on it, you'd have no impact on, on anything with it. So there's just some things that you just do because that's just the checks and balances. That's the process. Mm-hmm. But there are some, some things, there's a lot of tension between, um, you know, maybe you have uh, colleagues on council that, uh, believe one way uh, and I have tons of examples of that and you have to change them. Sometimes you're successful. Sometimes you're not. Um, Politics is weird because, you know, you might have a lot of agreement with the uh, county executive or the mayor, the administration or uh, another elected body. Uh, You might have a lot of agreement with them, but um, if you have one issue that you disagree with them, some, some politicians are, are just, they're at this point where if, you could be alongside with them on every issue. And then there's one issue you disagree with on and you might as well be dead to them. Right. Cause like, how dare you? So there's a lot of personality management is basically what I'm getting to uh, in government and some elected officials don't want to deal with that drama at all. And so they don't. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just like an ebb and flow of, of, uh, you know, a lot of mundane things, uh, and then an occasional intense moment that receives a lot of scrutiny and, and, uh, media, but it's what you make of it. Hmm. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Lydia, do you find yourself like, I know you're on County council. So, I mean, that's, how do you feel about that? Sure. So yeah, in Washington township, I'm on council and, uh, well, okay. First of all, Jay, like you're talking and I'm just like, I know, like I want to get up and run around the room and like I don't know like do a bunch of fist bumps or pumps or whatever I like I love everything you're talking about it like is speaking to my soul in such a like exciting way because I also have a master's degree in social work and I totally see social work as like you can't be boots on the ground helping people day to day if you're not also trying to work yourself out of a job by creating policies that prevent the issues that you're addressing with your clients And that was like a big issue that I saw when I was a trauma therapist was like, I was seeing all these policy level decisions that were hurting my clients that I'd have to pick up the pieces with them. And, and these policymakers had no idea of the the harm they were causing when they were trying to do good work. Um, But then, yeah, on like a, a a legislative level or, you know, on council, it also is exactly like you said, like it, it is what you make of it. And so you have people that just show up. They give their two cents. They don't do much research. They don't do much work behind the scenes. They don't try to understand uh, multiple sides. And you still have to work with those people and you still have to try to find common ground. And at the end of the day, no, like regardless of the size of the 
the the body or the council right like so on Washington Township Council it's five people but I'm still just one person in that group of five so I can't ever just do something that is going to change the council like I have to get people on my side um and and depending on the group that you're a part of like that can be a lot more difficult than others and so yeah I just it's just really exciting to hear you say that Jay because it's been my experience as well at all different levels and so it's cool, I guess, to see that that's happening other places and to know that maybe if we've all had that experience, we can like band together and shift the system somehow. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of speak to, you know, social workers. This is a national thing. Uh, are kind of like refine, you know, f- realizing where our roots are and, and kind of finding our voice in, in government. Right. But I say this to anybody. It's like, well, you know, if if you don't get involved, you know, you know if you don't get involved in politics, uh, somebody somebody else is, right? And uh, one of the big, this was like, even when I was in the army, my first year in, I used to think that everybody who was a sergeant or up, you know, all these leaders must be like the best of the best. And some of them are and were the best of the best, but a lot of them weren't, right? They just were around long enough or they were just the ones that had uh, tried or applied. Uh, and I, same thing with politics. When I was, uh, before I ran for county council, I had initially, before I had, I worked for an intergovernmental organization, the Erie Area Council of Governments. And um, it was through that that I realized that not every elected official, even though it's, it's a lot of work and you commend everybody who's managed to earn their seat in office, um, there, it, it just by being nature of being an elected office, that doesn't mean they they know a lot uh, on any specific mm-hmm. subject. Maybe they um, maybe they only know h- how to manage rental properties. Maybe they you know maybe they only know uh, maybe they're you know an engineer or something. Maybe they don't know about social policy. Maybe they don't know about um, what it's like to be to experience poverty or uh, homelessness. Right? Maybe they don't know those experiences. So um, you know. If, if you don't run for office, if somebody with your experiences, if you don't see yourself represented uh, on any of those local governments or state and beyond, those voices probably aren't being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, because not every elected official is as curious to find out what those experiences are or how the policies are impacting them. And um, so, you know, it, and, and, there isn't some sort of like, oh, I need to do this before I run for office. It isn't like, oh, I need this degree before I run for office, or I need to get a secure job or whatever before I do this. There, there's, there's no barrier to that people should, you shouldn't place that, right? You should be like, if you are passionate about it, and if you think that your voice would add to uh, an improved process, do it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, no better time than the present. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the one thing I say to people all the time, and this kind of like brings us back to like the current elections, but like I always say, if a car salesman can think he's qualified to uh, represent our district in Pennsylvania, like anyone can run for office. Like there's, there's no reason that we should ever limit ourselves, whether it's you're a teacher or you're a social worker or you're a, you know, yeah, I, anything, you could do anything there's a map a visualization of all of the this is just congress and maybe the senate but they they show uh uh the jobs of uh 
everybody who's been into office like in the past 30 or 40 years, right? And the vast majority of them were uh, one of two things, lawyers or uh, business owners, right? And so when you look at the number of people who've come from, who've had master's degrees, very, very few. The ones who have had uh, come from, uh, who with backgrounds in medicine or psychology or you, you name it, very small, very few. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, you know, and, it, and that's the same thing at the local level. It's who has the resources mm-hmm. and the time uh, to, um, to, to just be like one day I'm going to run for office and then commit the resources to it. That doesn't mean any, I think the threshold is, is lower. I think anybody can, you know, find success in office. It's just that, um, we're, we're not taught to, and whether it's in school or wherever it is, we're not taught that, uh, we can be, uh, in elected office or that, you know, we're, we're, and it's what we see, right? We see a bunch of older white men with business or law backgrounds. And so that's what we expect. And if we're not one of those, uh, then we might think that maybe we're not qualified. But um, but yeah, it's there's no such thing. As you said, if somebody could be a car, and no offense to car salesmen, but, uh, you know, I don't personally know any car sales people. So, you know, you know, hopefully I don't offend any of them, but, you know, it, it, you know, you work in sales, right? What maybe, you know, maybe you don't, you don't have to sell something all the time. Maybe there isn't, you know, that's that one skill set doesn't, you know, translate to government. Sometimes you got to like do things where there isn't a profit margin, right? right? Because the benefit is something else. It's, mm-hmm. you know, something that benefits humanity or society or something that doesn't mean like, you know, a profit at some point. I know for me, that was big because when I, I, when I first start was given the idea of, Hey, you should run for city council. I was like me, like, I'm not even qualified. I don't have this. I don't have that. And, you know, when I had to really think about it and when I had to go look and see what were the qualifications, all that had to be was a citizen 18 years old. And, you know, and I just, when I was looking at the basics of qualifications, I I was like, Oh my God, I can run. So I think you're right. Like there's that misconception that you have to be in law, that you have to be in, you know, that you have to be in this hot, you have to have um, doctorates or a master's. But I think people don't realize that anybody can run. I think that was why I decided because I'm like, okay, well, if that representation is there showing people that you can be a person that's passionate, a person that wants to see Erie change. I can do this. And I think when I had to shift that in my mind, I had to be like, okay, I am one. I deserve this seat. I deserve this seat because I deserve for the people to know that I'm here for you. And I think oftentimes that you don't look at it like that. You know, people are with passion, don't get looked at as, okay, you can run for a seat, you can do this. Like, and I just didn't, I didn't know that. And that's interesting that you said it because in school you don't get taught that you, anybody can, pretty much anybody can run. You know, now what I learned though was networking and relationships. If I didn't build in relationships, I don't know what's going on. Then how am I going to be able to even be put in that seat? People don't know me. I have to build a relationship. So I think on top of that, knowing how to network, knowing how to have build relationships and knowing what's going on in your city is super important because that's going to get you, that's going to get you votes. And I didn't know that, you know, and that was something that was brand new to me. Yeah, there's two things I, I got from just what you said, you know, one being on the job training, right? And you, you, 
you know, do you really want somebody to go in that's like that knows everything that knows knows it all or claims to or do you want to trust that they do? Uh, or do you want somebody who's going to be so passionate that they want to learn, they want to figure out, they want to challenge their own conceptions and be like, wait, do I really know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, that flexibility. But the second one, as far as the the systems of uh, influence, right? So, um, you know, Erie politics has changed dramatically where, you know, at one point, and I think we're still seeing the vestiges of that where, you know, at one point uh, you couldn't get in an office, you know, it depended on your last name, right? Mm -hmm. Depended on whether you're, you know, and, and it depended on how long you worked in the party or worked your way up or how many favors you did. And we're seeing less and less of that, um, definitely with my election and county council, but, um, you know, you're seeing less of that, but one truism is always exists. And that is if, if your ballot position, so, you know, uh, when there's multiple seats, unfortunately, uh, Pennsylvania hasn't changed this yet. I don't know if they ever will. Hopefully they do. But, you know, your ballot position, especially if there's multiple people on the ballot, a lot of people will just take off the very first few names they see because yeah. not everybody, there's so many elections, not everybody has, and there's, they're being flooded with information and candidates. And so it's hard to remember. They're going to do one or two things. They're going to look at the ballot and say, okay, I've got nine names to pick from or, you know, 15 or 20. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just going to go with the first three or three of the first five, right? And, and in Philadelphia, it's, uh, there's been cases where people who have been in office before who are wealthy and have all these connections where if they don't get the right ballot position, they drop out immediately um, because it's, they know they're going to lose. Um, that's one thing. Uh, one thing I was just reading, uh, uh, Representative Summer Lee from uh, the Pittsburgh area, she had just posted a, a tweet the other day about how she's just now finding out about these um, hidden expectations of being an elected official, right? Uh, and the costs associated with that, um, where she's saying that she's expected to pay dues to the uh, House Democrats and the House uh their campaign committee and um, where he's expected to donate to other candidates around the state, other state representatives, uh, where she's uh, expected to donate to um, the, uh, the county, the Democratic Party that had actually, uh, which is, you know, ACDC, which is, uh, you know, Allegheny County Democratic Committee, which is, uh, who knows if they're actually Democrats, but uh, they, they had voted uh, like a hundred and 10 to 11 or something against her, uh, nominating her, right? And so they've worked against her every bit of the way, but now they're like, you need to pay uh, money to us, right? Uh, but also these organizations that, you know, these, these uh, organizations that are affiliated with, with politics. And so there's a lot of hidden costs and you can get sucked into that, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's you know, you, you as an elected official on every level of government can get sucked into this, exchange of money, be it through your, your political action committee, your PAC, or your own dollars, where uh, people won't return a phone call or they won't uh, vote a certain way, uh, or maybe they'll work against you if you don't basically pay your dues, um, or if you don't uh, show up at you know certain political events or whatever it might be. So, and that's at every level of government, the smallest, you know, municipal, even township and whatnot. So, um, you know, and, and you could take it one or two ways. You can, I, I like she is and, and doing a great job of it, but just saying like, listen, I'm not going to, uh, play into the current systems that uh, have been unfair and have created, uh, inequities to begin with. So, 
you know, I'm going to keep doing what I can that I feel is right and leave it up to the voters. I think we're getting more and more where that's becoming um, doable. But there was a time and not so long ago where uh, there's no way not only would you be able to get in office, but maintain your seat without doing those favors. Wow. Yeah, which I think like leads me to maybe like shift this slightly to like, yeah, just unpacking some of that like bureaucracy, or I don't know what we want to call it, but just like the the puppet strings behind the scenes that we don't normally see when you're just a, a resident or a citizen voting for someone. You know, I think people get really excited about one candidate, which is great, and we all should, and we should care about every level. You know, we should be voting for president, we should be volunteering and, and doing all that. But I also think that there's like such this like secret web of power or persuasion or yeah, and, and sometimes corruption, I think, within that, that like is operating that so many of us don't see until you're in office or until you're, you know, working on a campaign or until you're doing something and you get to like glimpse behind the curtain and you see like, oh, wow, like this person didn't get here because they got the most votes. They got here because so-and-so gave them a ton of money to be on TV every day, whereas this person didn't have the money to do that. And like the like gross amounts of wealth that go into campaigns that people just have at their disposal to give to whoever they like or, or give to someone they don't like, but they really, really don't like the person they're running against. So to like sabotage this other person, they'll give more money to their opponent. I mean, like there's like so much bizarre stuff going on behind the scenes. I think we should just like unpack some of that a little bit. Cause I think that that is something people don't. Yeah, there's uh, you know, and I forgot to mention this other than ballot position, you know, last name is, is everything because, and there's, there's a uh, uh, senators in Iowa, Iowa. I can't remember their exact names. Their last name is Johnson, but there's been, I'm just going to make a name up, right. There's been like a, uh, a Matt Johnson who has been um, in the Senate or in the House in Iowa for generations, right? So there's no way it could be the same person, right? Well, it just turns out that people who aren't even related, there's so many Johnsons that are in elected office in, in this one, I'll have to look it up, but this one part of Iowa where, uh, and there was a there was a movie with uh, uh, Eddie Murphy where uh, he had the same name as uh, 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 a Senator in Florida who had died. And so he just went and took off his yard signs from his, his widow and, and campaign for the distinguished gentleman, right? Uh, great movie. But, uh, you know, name, name has a lot, because again, when it comes to low, low information, a lot, most voters are low information voters, even the super voters, people who vote every single time, um, you know, mailers isn't enough, going to door to door isn't enough, uh, social media is enough, it counts. But again, they're being inundated with so much where if they see a name, they're like, oh, I went to a high school with somebody like this, or I think I know that name. And if somebody who's been in media or they've had media coverage through their previous job or just for whatever it is, that helps them a little bit better, right? They don't have to, you know, there's two things. You have to get people to get familiar with your name, and then you have to uh, convince them that uh, they should vote for you, right? Those two different things. But uh, minus one, you need at least them to, to know your name or be familiar with it. Um, and so uh, that has a lot to do with it. But as far as like the, uh, you know, the web of, you know, and some of it is corruption. Some of it is, uh, you know, with with the money, it's a lot of its business interests. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, looking back, although it didn't really have any influence on, you know, some of my early elections, I 
spent as much out of pocket as I raised and I raised from, uh, for county council particularly, I raised from um, uh, just people I knew. Um, for uh, when I ran for mayor, uh, we did take uh, some PAC donations um, and a couple of them had some business interests and stuff. And, and to this, and if I ran, you know, again, I would, I wouldn't go back to those people. As a matter of fact, you know, it wasn't until I saw, you know, I was just like, oh, wow, here's some donations. They, you know, they like me, they're going to have interest and stuff. And um, they never came to me and, and suggested I voted a certain way. They never came to me and said, hey, we donated this to you. You know, can you please vote a certain way? But after time, I started thinking about this, like, you know, if I'd been in office long enough, maybe there would be a time where they would call upon it. Or maybe, maybe they are, there's just this natural inclination. If somebody helped you out, that you're just going to do something nice back for them, right? Like that's just human nature. And so they may not be, you know, when you get when you get donations, it may not be just like uh, a matter. The influence isn't isn't always a a overt. Hey, we gave you money. You need to give us this in return. Sometimes it is. Uh, I never experienced that, but sometimes it's just that that human nature of like some somebody did nicely. So I might pick up the phone call right. and answer when they call. Um, uh, but, you know, there, there are those cases. And, and there's been times where I've had, uh, I challenged certain votes on some things and I've had uh, people who were close to me uh, who have had, uh, who had their connections were leveraged in order to pressure me to vote a certain way. So, you know, there, there is that pressure and it is financial, right? When you have somebody who's near and dear to you and you have banking officials coming to them and saying you need to convince Jay to you know change his mind on this you know that's really upsetting right mm -hmm. because they're they're pressuring not just direct but they're pressuring somebody who you care about or you you trust right they're getting pressure and um there's that but then you know the whole electoral system is set up to to especially in Pennsylvania to help people who are in, in office to maintain that power. You think about some of the silly restrictions to stay in office, like new ones, such as you got to file your paperwork at, at, at City Hall or at Edinburgh Borough Council mm -hmm. and stuff. It's like, well, hold on. Counties run elections, right? And the county seat's like right there and the files are available. Um, and these municipalities didn't ask for this. Nobody was asking for it. And the municipalities had no preparation. They had no process or place to store it, right? Where are we taking these files that now we're required to maintain, right? Who do we give it to? All this other, these other things. And the state legislature purposely put in those requirements so that you can get somebody out off the, off the ticket on a technicality, right? There's all these technicalities that are built in uh, from petitions to filing paperwork. And, you know, there's all these technicalities built in the position that, if you're not familiar with it, um, you know, it's an added burden for people who have never been in office before, right? And so it's just, uh, you know, the system has those barriers. And so that's where it counts for me, where I think uh, connections in this day and age is more important to who you know who can help you avoid those pitfalls, mm -hmm. right? Those eyes on to like, you're walking into a trap, don't do this, or you're, you know, it's, somebody's looking into this and, you know, with local politics, um, you know, 
people who you might think just because they're being nice to you that, or maybe because you've, you've, you're, you're of the same political affiliation that uh, they're going to look out for your interests. Maybe they're sabotaging you on the side mm-hmm. and maybe they're just doing it for fun. You know, maybe there's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that being said, you know, the, uh, as I tell my students that I love politics and I hate it, right? I love it because there are things that you can affect. There are things you can change. Um, and uh, you, there are times where you, you, you can see the impact of what you're doing immediately or years down the road. Like I still to this day see some cool things. But then also there's that other side of it that can consume you, um, that can be toxic. Um, so, you know, you really have to have a strong will to overcome that. But you also need some really good friends who are maybe not necessarily in politics, but you need, you need good allies who aren't going to let you get sucked into um, that sort of uh, environment. Mm. That's deep, that's deep. I think there's, I, I recently found the control the power of lobbyists. I don't think people understand how lobbyists have great power in their positions. And I just recently, you know, I mean, I'm 32 years old and of course I had civics before and I've had those, but when you think about it, you don't think, cause lobbyists do a lot of stuff behind the scenes and I did not realize the power that they have. So I don't even know if anybody, know, I mean, do you, can you explain a little bit about what a lobbyist is Jay? Cause you probably would put it way more, <laughs> way more eloquently than I would. Yeah, so lobbyists, a lot of people just think of the, and I'm gonna walk because I'm, uh, I run the Tool Lending Library program and I gotta go lock it up real quick. But um, a lot of people think of the lobbyists as being business interests. And for the most part it is, but uh, the second biggest lobbyist group are nonprofits and people who represent social organizations, right? League of Women Voters, uh, the Women's Law Project, um, Sierra Club, um, you know, you name it. Uh, It's nonprofits that uh, have a lot of people who work in nonprofits, they're fearful that like, oh, I can't, I can't lobby because if I lobby, um, we're going to lose our nonprofit status. And that's not true. if anybody who works in the nonprofit field uh, is worried about the line break crossing the law with uh, engaging in um, elections or engaging with lobbying, uh, I, I'm willing to give you free advice on on that. Um, but uh, you know, going back to the sense of social work, is that uh, how can you in the nonprofit sector help people if you're not actively lobbying? elected officials to uh, make certain decisions uh, in government, right? You can't, you can't do your job. And as a matter of fact, the tax code, the whole reason why we have 501c3 uh, was established because uh, nonprofit leaders in the 1970s asked the federal government, asked the IRS to say, hey, draw clear lines of what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. Hmm. And no nonprofit in Pennsylvania has ever lost their nonprofit status for being involved in, in uh, for lobbying too much. It hasn't happened. Um, but the, the darker side really is around the um, where the money interests are. If you wanna see it, I've been to DC and in Harrisburg multiple times uh, uh, for multiple reasons. And I can tell you that uh, the one place that grosses me out the most is um, 
Harrisburg because uh, Harrisburg just has, they're just so blatant with the, the moneyed interests of, uh, I, I can't tell you how easy it is to have a dinner or drinks paid for by lobbyists. Uh, Pennsylvania has um, fewer restrictions than the federal government, uh, than some, than city of Pittsburgh. You know, in Harrisburg, the state legislators have uh, fewer restrictions on how much money they can raise and who they can raise it from and the gifts that they can take from uh, business interests. And so uh, that's often looked at as a, a sign of success or influence in Harrisburg uh, as far as, uh, you know, what business interests or trade associations of those businesses, let's say for realtors um, and other industries, you know, those, they have trade associations, they have, you know, associations of realtors or whatever it might be. And so those interests are coming in and yeah, they might have smaller independent companies uh, that they represent, but by and large, those trade associations are representing the voices of the larger companies within that, within that sector, right? And oil and gas in Pennsylvania, which is a uh, dying industry, which uh, has been uh, propped up through government subsidies. Uh, uh, and even though they call it job creation, spent more money than the jobs we were promised. And at the same time, they're still probably one of the most powerful lobbying groups because they have a lot of uh, money at their disposal. And they do treat uh, state legislators to, to big donations, but also they're able to, to, to send more money to their reelection campaigns through other organizations. And, um, you know, there are, anytime you see an elected official come into town, okay, especially a bigger name state uh, elected official or whatever it might be, they're in town to say hi to some local voters or to help uh, give prominence to another candidate, but there's probably two or three fundraising dinners that are happening that night down on the beach or at some mansion or something, right? There's something that's happening where some wealthy people are getting together and they're all going to throw a bunch of money at these candidates, right? And that's sort of the, what Representative Lee was kind of getting at as well, is that there's this circuit you got to go through this, this, uh, this touring, you got to tour around the state. Anytime you see state representatives from other parts of Pennsylvania coming in Erie, it's because they're doing, um, they're doing this, this, uh, this favor, this round of uh, uh, favors, and they're collecting money at uh, private fundraisers. And they are um, uh, also helping some of the local electeds who are up for re-election also collect some as well. So, you know, that's a part that people don't see uh, as both of you were kind of getting to that there's like the hidden, um, you know, the hidden part of, of government running for office. It's that, um, that fundraising that is really is really a behemoth at the state level and higher, not so much when it comes to local office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So is it okay if we do a little predicting or any sort of like feelings you have about the upcoming elections, anything that, uh, any insight you can give for the folks? 
So what's what seats are we talking about? The president? Am I going to be the, the one person point. in this world that knows where we're going with the uh, uh, should 531 hire me? Um, so, you know, so we do have some big election. We have the biggest election of all, of course, being the president. We have um, uh, at least in, there's some significant senatorial races around the country uh, mm -hmm. that uh tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are going into uh, billions into the presidential campaign. And that's where a lot of people's attention are. Of course, here in Erie, we have the uh, state Senate race, uh, which, you know, it'd be, uh, the incumbent Laughlin would challenge Julie Slomsky. We have state reps that are up every two years, of course. Uh, most of those are uh, unchallenged, except for, I know, uh, third district, uh, become at Bizarro, who's got a challenger. Um, and then we have, uh, a, a statewide races like the, the, uh, auditor general and the, uh, treasurer, right. Uh, seats people don't think about, right. That are the, the treasurer, uh, Joe Torcella, I believe his name is. He's like probably one of the most popular guys on Twitter because his, his Twitter accounts like hilarious, but, um, I, I think that Pennsylvania has been, when it comes to statewide races, uh, Democrats tend to have, in, in most recent years, have a strong majority. And so I think we can anticipate a win for uh, the Democrats on those statewide races. Nina Ahmed and uh, Joe Torcella, I think that we'll see those uh, you know, those auditor general and tre state treasurer, I think we're gonna see those stay in democratic hands. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to uh, the state rep races, of course, I think when it comes to the, the one that's, I think that's the only one, the third district, I think that's going to be safe for the incumbent for Bizarro just because of uh, his money and his, um, his voting record, which has been, um, uh, even as a Democrat has probably been one of the most conservative uh, voting records in our region, either center or, you know, right of center to be able to um, maintain uh, his, his uh, seat. Now, when it comes to uh, the biggest and uh, most important one, you know, the presidency, uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm always worried because you have this situation where, you know, polling tells you one thing mm -hmm. and, you know, the polling last time people can say was right, was wrong, but then also you could say, well, you know, it was within the margin of error. So technically it could be right. Um, but also one of the things they noticed was that people who have like this natural anti-government perspective or people who are distrustful of the media or distrustful of phone calls, they're um, not going to answer a. Uh, they're not going to answer a poll. They're not going to answer a question from somebody, um, and so we don't know. You know, as far as like those who support Trump, we if they already have an inclination to distrust polls or to distrust um, the government or media. Uh, they're not going to respond, right? And so, you know, we don't know how much that is, but also a number of people who are embarrassed to admit that they support 
Trump, right? That they're embarrassed to say, you know, I, you know, there, there, I, that's what worries me is that we don't know how right. big that cohort is. So, um, to me, that's the unknown. I think that, uh, you know, and then it's the electoral college. It's the one election in our country that isn't uh, a straight democratic, uh, uh, election. It's not, um, you know, a popular vote. It isn't who gets the most votes. It's you know, the electoral college um, that uh, determines that. And um, I, I think that it's probably going to go, uh, I, I know Biden, I believe, will win the popular vote uh, by a huge margin, just like Hillary Clinton did in 2016. Um, and I think he's going to pick up a few more states in the electoral college than uh, Clinton did in 2016. I'm, I'm, I think he'll win, but the one unknown is really, I listen to a lot of podcasts from um, legal folks, right? That uh, are talking about all the, and I've taught some of this in my lectures, the number of legal challenges that are going on right now, as millions have already voted, um, that there are court challenges, including in Pennsylvania, where, you know, in Texas, there was a, the state governor was like, okay, counties, you can only have one collection box for drop-off ballots. And so you had counties that had millions of people spread out, had to have one drop box. And it's like, well, hold on, that's not fair. You know, these rural counties that have 300 people, you know, they can survive with one, but and then what happened was the states, the, the a federal appeal court that covers Texas said, no, you can't do that and said, you have to allow the counties to have them. But then the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court just said, um, uh, no, you know, they didn't they didn't rule on it, but they they the Supreme Court can rule based on whether or not they're going to accept a case or they can remand something to a lower court. And the Supreme Court was just like, no, we're going to let this other lower courts ruling. Uh, stand and so the the um, so now the governor's restrictions, arbitrary restrictions on these ballot boxes, are in place. And you see this all across the country, where um, they're trying to make voting harder, or they're trying to put in all these. Like remember when I mentioned the uh, uh, technicalities, right? They're trying to assure that there's enough technicalities where they can disqualify ballots based on is there a second envelope. Uh, was it returned on a certain date? Was there postage on it? Does the signature match? Um, you know, did somebody who has a hyphenated name, which one of those names did they use or did they use both of them? A lot of technicalities like that that exist. And so uh, from what I'm seeing and reading and listening to, the big concern is not just a, a repeat of Bush v. Gore uh, in 2000, uh, but, um, that decided that election, uh, which you know, Gore probably could have kept pushing for. But in this situation, a lot of people are worried that there's going to be uh, dozens of little Bush v. Gores all around the country. It isn't just going to be a ballot in question in Florida. It's going to be all these legal challenges for thousands or tens of thousands of ballots in multiple states across the country. And the other problem with that is we don't have one national election. We have thousands. There's 3,000 counties, and some of the bigger cities run their own elections. You know, so 
Erie County elections is not the same as Crawford County. It's not the same as Allegheny County. Uh, there's 3,000 plus different elections being held at the same time concurrently. And the systems are slightly different and there's different people, different training. You know, right now, like I'm, I'm signed up to be a uh, judge of elections at a polling place. Um, a lot of people who work the polls who are regulars, who know the ins and outs, aren't returning to work because of uh, the pandemic, because of their health. And so now you got a lot of inexperienced, understaffed polling places uh, where you have a president going and telling people to go observe the polls and to um, a lot of heightened tension. So, you know, I'm worried. I'm not worried that Biden will lose. I'm worried that there's going to be so many legal challenges that it's going to um, throw out people's vote, their voices, right? Yeah, heavy stuff, heavy yeah. stuff for sure. And I guess, you know, if, if we're thinking about, you know, a note to end on, like, where do you find hope amidst all these barriers, like systemic challenges, voter suppression, you know, the corruption and, and these kind of like backdoor antics, how do you find hope for the political process or, or like what, what is driving you to like keep moving forward? A good question. Yeah, that's, that's tough because um, you have to be really resilient to still have hope, right? And I think it's okay to go through phases where you're feeling a little hopeless, right? Um, the, uh, the, what I, my biggest hope is definitely the generational change that's happening. Um, the, uh, and this isn't a knock on uh, baby boomers, but you know, they came into office in their twenties mm -hmm. and mostly have held on to power ever since. And so even, even in local government, those who are in office right now in local government first got in office in their twenties, you know? And so you have this, uh, you know, I think Howard Dean, who's the former, uh, former presidential candidate and, and former head of the DNC who's in Erie and he spoke to this years ago it really struck me he's like you know um uh he said my generation you know baby boomers aren't just going to step aside and give up power um we really need to start transitioning and and mm -hmm. and and encouraging younger people to to take office but we're not really seeing that at every level definitely not at the local level um but I think that with the Unfortunately, when things are so uh, uh, worrisome and when Gen X to a certain extent, but definitely millennials and Gen Z are facing some of the hardest economic out, uh, and especially you know, people of color mm -hmm. and women particularly uh, are seeing that um, we're you know, not going to fare so well in the coming years, regardless of who's in office, and that um, people will take away your rights if you're not plugged in in the system. They will take away marriage equality. They will take away um, you know, your, your protections from being fired based on you know, who you are, or how you wear your hair, or whatever it might be. And um, so I find hope that people are seeing the, uh, the not necessarily the ugliness, but the truth of the system and that it's going to motivate them to, and we've experienced it for so long that I think people are gonna be motivated 
to stick with it more than before. You know, instead of saying we have this victory, we're good. I could stop voting as much or being plugged in. I think people are so traumatized or so are witnessing so much suppression and oppression that, um, and these conversations around like Black Lives Movement, it's the largest social movement in history. People are having, seven out of 10 Americans are having conversations about race that they never did before. Um, so, you know, I see hope in that. I see hope that people are realizing it's a conversation and it's an action that they have to be plugged into for the long term. Uh, so two things, generational shifts, and one being that people are having uh, more difficult uh, and more sustained conversations. So that's where I find hope. I like that. That's a good end. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jay, for being here with us today. You've been listening to the Our Eerie podcast, the voice of reason in the fog of post-industrial America. Next week, we're joined by Jan Giesing, an entrepreneur, musician, and educator. If you would like to continue the conversation, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Our Eerie Series. This podcast is produced by John C. Lyons, Marty Wachuku, and Devana Paisley. Music by Corey Cook. Funding provided by Eerie Arts and Culture. And we appreciate you all for listening to our Eerie podcast. Peace.